turn to the book of Jude. We don't read it from the book of Jude a lot, do we? It's probably because it's so short. you're wondering where the book of Jude is, it's right near the back, second last book in the Bible. Maybe you've noticed some things in the way the Bible is laid out. The Bible is an inspired book. It's not like any other book you've ever read. It is completely and totally inspired And that doesn't mean inspired like, I wrote this song and I was inspired by a little boy from Kansas. No, inspired means when when the scripture says this word of God was inspired by God, it means it was breathed by God. God breathed this word. The scripture calls it the living word of God. It is live and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So this is not some some philosophy that a couple of uh, writers wrote down and just thought would be a good thing. It is not the opinions of men. In fact, Peter says it straight out. He says, no scripture is a matter of one's interpretation, but men, no no prophecy is, is by one's interpretation, but men moved by God spoke. And so we, we know that the, the Bible is not, uh, I mean, you may, you may say, well, I like the letters of Paul or I like the letters of John. You know, I don't get into that too much because I know the same guy wrote the whole thing. Well, I find that Paul's letters are just uh, just another level. No, they're not. It's the Holy Spirit. It's all good. It's all good. And if you can't look at all of it and smile, then fix your doctrine. If you can't look at all of it without having to skip some things because it doesn't line up with what you believe, change what you believe because this is the word of God. And so when we find the book of Jude, we notice something in the New Testament. And it starts out with the Gospels, right? It starts out with Jesus. He's the beginning. And then, which, which we know even in Genesis, in the beginning was God. You know, and we know that Jesus was in the beginning with God. It says that in John 1. But we find that the first four books are the Gospels. Then the practical application, what, what happened after, the continuation of Jesus' ministry. In the book of Acts. Those are five books of history. And then we find up history. But history that is still relevant today. History that can happen today. And then we find that there are epistles. And you get into Romans. And 1st and 2nd Corinthians. You get into Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians and Colossians. And you find out who you are in Christ. You find out what great things Jesus has done for you. You begin to understand what his work on the cross accomplished for you. You understand your place in him. You understand how the, how the body of Christ is meant to be a body and how it works under the headship of Christ. Then we come in to First and Second Thessalonians and we begin to notice something. The church is changing. There's talk of the end. There's talk of last days. And as you go through books like Hebrews and James and First and Second Timothy and Titus, Philemon, Jude, the three books of John and and the first three chapters of the book Revelation, you see very clearly that God is loving the church so much that he loves it enough to correct it. Because by this time that these letters are written, the church is not a brand new baby where it makes a mess in his diaper and everybody thinks it's cute. The church has gotten to a place of maturity. 
Some have, some haven't. But we begin to see towards the end of the New, Co- New Testament that there are some things that God has for us that will keep us in His love, that will keep us in His Word, that will keep us in His plan. Because if, you, uh, if all you know are the elementary things, well, you'll do good for a time. But there is a point of maturity where God brings us up to a different level and says, now let me tell you about some things. And in fact, yes, we don't always like to hear this, but yes, even let me warn you about some things. He loves you enough to warn you. And he warns us several times in these last few books about some things that are going to happen in our time. Does God warn us to scare us? Does he warn you so that, so that you'll just uh, you'll come to church lots and be good kids? No, he warns you because he loves you. So you're ready. He warns you because he doesn't warn you because he says, well, this will be the end of you. This is this is the last day. Now, he warns you so that you'll be equipped to fight off every dart of the evil one to 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 quench every flaming missile that's thrown out at you to not be ignorant of the Satan's devices and not to fall for the schemes of the wicked one. He warns you because if you if you take that warning, if you take that caution and you stand in his word and you stand in his love and you stand in his spirit, you'll beat whatever comes. You'll be standing at the end of it. He does it because he loves you. So in Jude, we do see some warnings of some things that are going to happen. Now, if Jude is talking about things that will happen uh, in the last days, it's probably safe to say we're kind of there now. We don't know how far along we are, but we know we're, we're, we're close. So some of the things he speaks about are things we're experiencing right now. We say this not to scare anybody, but to equip you and give you hope. That God saw it coming. He saw it all, and he prepared you for it. And you're able to stand, you're able to live in his in His word, live in his power. Listen what it says in Jude, and Jude only has one chapter. And we're going to look in verse 17. It says, but you, beloved. Now, as a matter of fact, you notice that it starts with but, right? So maybe it'd be safe for me to read the verse before, because when, when a, word, a sentence starts with but, you know, that's not the beginning of the thought, right? right. It's, it's joining it with another thought says in verse 16, these are grumblers finding fault, following after their own lusts. That means whatever they feel like doing, they're doing. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Now, listen, what does it say? But you, beloved, that means that's not you. You don't belong to that group, but you, beloved. And, and, you know, he calls you beloved, reminding you who you are, ought to remember Now, when he says ought to, that means it's a good idea to remember this. It's the thing you need to do is to remember what God has already said. God's not surprised that in these last days there's mockers. He's not surprised that in the last days there's false teachers. He's not surprised. But he says, here's what you do. You need to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. That they were saying to you, in the last time, there shall be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions. Worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. Now, when it says worldly-minded, what does that mean to you? 
What does worldly-minded mean to you? You mean they're really smart? They've traveled all over the place? No, it says, it says these guys that have come along, says they're worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But here's the interesting thing. It says they cause divisions. Why that's interesting is, why would that be an issue if they were just out in the world? If this is just Jack B. Nimble out in the world, it's an unfortunate name, I know, but what if that was his name, Jack B. Nimble? And he's out in the world, and, uh, you know, he, he works for Husky, and, and you know, he's, he's not a believer, and it says he's causing division. Do you think that God's really too concerned about there div- being division at work or being division uh, in the world? That's probably not his prime concern. His biggest thing, when we're talking about divisions, because out in the world there is no unity anyways. So really, that's probably not what he's talking about. When he's talking about divisions, he's probably talking amongst us, our own body. Because these are the ones that are assembled by God. These are the ones that are called together. These are the ones that are put in a body. Before we knew Jesus, we weren't part of anything. The scripture says we were not a people. But now we are the people of God. Now, once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. So when he talks about causing divisions, it's probably safe to assume that he's talking about the church. And it says they are causing divisions. They are worldly minded. Now, worldly minded could be translated as natural thinking. This does not mean they were never born again. Doesn't, maybe they were, maybe they weren't. This does not mean that they've never heard the gospel. It means that no matter what they've been taught, no matter what they know, they're still choosing to think like everybody else. And when you, we've been talking about this, when you are natural minded, you go by what you feel, what you see, what you can touch. You go by senses. You don't walk by the spirit. You don't listen to the voice of God. You're going by what everybody else goes by because they walk in darkness. We are children of light. God wants to speak to you all the time. And when you're led by his word, that means by your Bible. That means by good godly teaching. That means by the spirit of God speaking to your spirit. When you're led by the spirit, you walk in the light and you see where you're going. You know where you're going. Jesus said that. He says, the man who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. And he walks by the senses and he goes by what he can feel and what he can touch. And and, and those things are going to lead you to destruction. And it says that this person, now maybe they're, maybe they're a believer, maybe they're not. But I, either way, they're thinking like everybody else. They're natural-minded. But here it says they're devoid of the Spirit. So that may mean right there that they're not believers because they don't have the Spirit in them. Or it may mean that they're a believer that's just not walking by the Spirit, that has it but just not walking by it. For the sake of today, let's just assume they're not believers but they've somehow weaseled their way into the church. Either way, guys, we shouldn't be listening to these guys. Whether they are believers or not, you don't listen to people that walk like this. You've got to watch who you listen to. Now here, he says these are the ones who cause divisions. You know, that's so important to God that there not be division in his body. That's one of the biggest themes that you see throughout the New Testament is division and unity. That God is so passionate for his church. He's so in love with the body and he so has a plan for us and a vision for us that when you have die vision, that's more than one vision, that's that's a disconnect. 
That's a dislocation that something is out of joint and it doesn't look good. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't work. So God's not called us to division. And here's what he says. But you now listen, he's just warned you that in the last times there will be mockers following after their ungodly lusts. They cause divisions. They're worldly minded. They're devoid of the spirit. All of a sudden, this sounds like a bad group of people, doesn't it? So what do you do? Does it say, but you, beloved, you know, hook up in your bunker and write some tracks and pass them out, but not to trust these guys. Now, what, what does it say you're supposed to do? What's your protection against all this stuff? You see, you could go, uh, you could go to the Christian bookstore and buy every book you possibly could find on every cult that's ever existed in the world. You know what? You'll st- you still could get tricked. Because not enough books could ever be written. Uh, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't study the lie to find out what the lies are. You study the truth. And when you know the truth, you know the lies. Because they don't match with the truth. So he says, here's the answer for you. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God. There's your answer. There's your protection. There's your solution. When the world is going down the drain, when it seems that even your own, the people you've trusted are turning away, it says, you beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. That's the foundation of everything else. Build up on that. Pray in the Holy Spirit. And above all, keep yourselves in the love of God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Keep yourselves in the love of God. That means to me that there are things that are trying to drag you out and pull you out of the love of God. That are trying to keep you from walking in that. That are trying to slowly nudge you away from the love of God. But it says you don't need to. Your pastor is not going to keep you in the love of God. Your wife is not going to keep you in the love of God. You keep yourself in the love of God. And you have been given everything to do it. What did Romans 8 say? Nothing will separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Right? So God is not separating you from his love. The only thing that you could do is not walk in that love. He says, here's your job. If the world is falling down around you, if the church is falling down around you, keep yourselves in the love of God. Because all of that trash, all of that falling away in the end times, it's for one purpose, to cause division in the body of Christ. To lead many astray. Because if they're astray, they're not part of the body. They're not working as part of the body. They're not finding their place in Christ. They don't know who they are. And we're disjointed. But he says, keep yourselves, guys. Keep yourselves. This is the biggest instruction he can give you. Here's how you keep yourself. What do you do? You build yourself up on your most holy faith. You pray in the Holy Spirit. You'll be kept in the love of God. Waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. That means we're waiting and excited for his coming again. So there's, there are things you can do. Don't get freaked out. 
Don't get freaked out by the way the world is going. And you know what? You don't need to, you don't need to start a protest website. You don't, need to, you don't need to start a site of all the false doctrines in the world. Do you know what you need to do? Keep yourself in the love of God. Spread the love of God. Advance the love of God. Build yourself up on the most holy faith. Don't fall for the lies. Don't fall for the false doctrine. If it causes division, it's not of God. But you've got to understand that some things even look like they're causing division that are from God, but they're not. For instance, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword, a sword of division. Wait a second. But who is he dividing? Was he dividing his own body? No. Was he dividing his disciples? No. He was dividing the believers from the unbelievers. Those that received him from those that rejected him. Jesus will make that clear division between belief and unbelief. And no other division is welcome in the body of Christ. There's no racial division that's welcome. There's no class division that's welcome. There's no age division that's welcome. There's no gender division that's welcome. Those things are not welcome in the church. Somebody brings racism, they need to take it right back out. Somebody brings class division and a warfare of that sort and says, well, the upper class is better than the middle class or the lower class, you know, any of that, it's not welcome. The only division that Jesus Christ brought was division between belief and unbelief. And the reason he did that is so that the unbelievers would say, whoa, we need to believe. Thank God that he loves his church enough to keep it. But any other division is not welcome. And that means, friends, that division because you got offended, division because somebody talk to you funny division because somebody didn't say hi to you division because you don't like the way things are done these are not good enough for what jesus did was so much greater jesus's love that he showed for us was so big that it's really insulting when you say yeah but this person just smells bad because you don't understand when jesus died for you you smelled really bad and so he says keep yourselves In the love of God, it's the greatest armor, it's the greatest protection you can have. Waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. We've we've done some teaching on the next few verses. I'll read them to remind you because, uh, you know, it's good to be reminded. He says, and have mercy on some who are doubting. So there's going to be some among you that are threatening to pull away, right? Maybe they've been listening to the people that are causing division. Maybe they've been listening to the wrong voices and they're, they're, they're doubting. And he doesn't say, you know what? Just get them out of the church. They're doubters. Get them out. Put a letter on, you know, ushers. We're going to give the ushers a doubter stamp. And as they go out the door, the ushers grab you by the collar and stamp a doubter stamp on your forehead. So we all know you're a doubter. No, it says have mercy on these. Understand that they're fighting a battle and maybe they're not winning. And so what do they need? The book of Romans says, you who are strong, bear with the failings of the weak. If you see some Hebrews says, heal the limbs that are lame, make straight paths for them to walk in. If you see somebody stumbling, you don't just watch them stumble. You come alongside them and help them. We talked about last week, last Sunday, encouragement, what that means. And so here, he says, have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. So these are people that are really 
gone over the inside. And it says, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. These are people who are in some deep stuff. They've gone so deep into this trash that he says, have mercy on them, but be careful you don't get any on yourself. He says, you need to go and save them, snatch them out of the fire, but don't even touch what the, <laughs> that stuff on them. Don't even touch that, that garbage on them. He says, you don't want to get it on you. So, I mean, have mercy, love them, go in and find them and bring them out, but don't stay there. Don't, don't wallow in the filth. Don't wallow in the mud. So he, sa- the, he says this, now to him. Should you be freaked out? Should you be afraid? Well, what's going to happen to me? What if I fall away? What if, what if somebody causes me to stumble? What if I... He says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. It's cool. Everything that's broken in the world, everything that's perverted, everything that's evil, everything that's dark, everything that's crooked is a result of separation from God. God is love. God is light. And that light was the life of men. Everything that's messed up is a lack of him. His presence and His love. Every sin, every crooked perversion is a, is a twisting, is a breaking of the love of God. That's why the scripture says, if it could all be summed up in one sentence, it's love. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. In this, the whole law is fulfilled. That means, let's reverse that for a moment, that the whole law could be broken by breaking love, by stepping out of love. The world is not dark because the force of darkness is so strong. The world is dark because the light is not there, because they are shielded from the light. If I wanted to make this room dark, what would we have to do? We turn the lights off. We'd get the ushers to get garbage bags and tape up all the windows. We would block any light from coming in. We wouldn't bring a black light in. We wouldn't bring some sort of some sort of darkness dust that we sprinkle everywhere. There is no force of darkness. There is only lack of light. The force of darkness that we read about in the scripture, what does it do? It says the God of this world has blinded their eyes that they may not see the light of the gospel, the glory of God. So it's it's not about the darkness being so strong. It's about people's eyes being darkened and blinded from the light. It's about areas of our life, areas of our world where we've kept God from coming in. His love has not his love is not limited. His love is not bound. His love is not is not in a small box. And yet. Because of the free will that he gave to man, there are those that can resist his love and will will not let that love penetrate their hearts. They'll not let it in. And if it's not in, it can't come out. And so, I mean, if we had a service at Bud Miller Park, if we had it at nighttime, 
And I wanted everybody to see who I was. Or at least see me while I'm talking. I don't necessarily want that, but pretend I did. And I'm walking around, and it's at nighttime. Well, you have a spotlight, right? And spotlight follows you. You say, I've never seen a spotlight at Bud Miller Park, but we're imagining. So let's just pretend that they had one. But now imagine it was the middle of the day. And I'm so insecure that I say, how will anybody know I'm the speaker if there's no spotlight? And you can't see the spotlight in the middle of the day. And Brent comes up and says, I've invented something. I've invented a spot dark that will shine a beam of darkness wherever you go. Such a thing is not invented. Such a thing could never be invented. Why? Because darkness is the absence of light. Evil is the absence of God. Wickedness is the absence of his love. So, when we walk, John says this, it says in 1 John several times, when we walk in his love, we are in the light. His love is the light of men. His love is life. His his light was the life of men. They're all tied together. And so when we step out of love, we're walking in love. Darkness. Remember those that caused divisions? What did it say? They were natural minded. Walking by the senses, which which the scripture says is walking in darkness. When you walk by what you can feel, it's darkness. When you walk in the spirit of God. Now, listen, it's not a coincidence, friends, that he says, pray in the praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Because the Spirit of God, when you're full of the Spirit, you are full of His love. His love, in Galatians 5, love is the first fruit of the Spirit. It's the first one named. Love Love is a fruit of that Spirit being in you. Love is not not a supplement to the Spirit of God. And so you see anybody, John says it this way. He says, and we know that it's God writing through John, right? He says, listen, you got a buddy that says, I know God. I love God. I'm full of the spirit of God. Maybe they're the greatest preacher that anybody's heard. I mean, they can preach and they can move, but they have no love. He says, you're a liar. You don't love your brother. You're a liar. Is I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't make sense. You can't. You can't say you love God. You can't say you're full of his spirit and not have love. First Corinthians 13 says you could do every miracle. You could move mountains, all of these things. And if you did it and you didn't have love, it doesn't even count. It would sound horrible to God. So, I mean, there's this there's this feeling where as we walk by our senses, we respond differently than when we walk by the spirit. So if you walk by the senses and you notice that in the church, in the body of Christ, there is somebody causing division. There's somebody causing strife. There's somebody stirring up jealousy and bitterness, right? Your first response. Now, you've got to decide, am I, if I walking in the spirit or walking by the flesh? Because if I walk by the spirit, my response is to keep myself in the love of God. And have mercy on some. But now, if I respond in the flesh, what do you do? You respond like the rest of the world responds and you stick up your fists and you say, I'm going to fight it off like this. Somebody's talking against my pastor, I'm going to smack him in the face. Somebody talked about my wife, I'm going to... And what have you done? 
If the goal of the, of the other side, if the goal of the enemy was to bring division, he just did it. I had a friend growing up. And we were kids. And my friend wasn't a necessarily, he wasn't like the nicest guy in the world. I mean, he wasn't mean. But, you know, he loved to be righteously angry. And I say righteously very loosely. Because he didn't righteously love anybody. But he loved when he thought he saw. I mean, I guess he just saw himself as Batman or something. I don't know. Where he just saw something wrong being done. And he liked to be the one. He was a tough guy. He liked to be the one that go, went and beat everybody else up for doing something bad. You made fun of the handicapped kid. He's going to fight for the handicapped kid. You know, he never did anything nice to that kid. He never, he never said, listen, you want to hang out? Hey, listen, buddy, you want to come with us? We're going somewhere at recess. He never said this. But the minute somebody makes fun of this kid, oh, come on now, you that's not right. I'm going to stand up for what's right. No, you're not. You're just looking for an excuse to fight. <laughs> He's just looking for an excuse to pound somebody's face where he can feel good about himself and not feel like a bully. I'm bullying the bullies. Not really? Sometimes we get this in the body of Christ where we just like, we go through and we're looking for a good fight. You know, we don't get to fight anymore. Jesus tells us to love. We don't get to fight. I like to fight. You know, I like to, I like a good argument. Somebody might say, and let's face it. We know people, they get born again and they are arguers and they get born again. They get better for a little bit. And then they realize, wait, I can argue for Jesus. And they just take it as their ministry and calling to never, never preach any, anything that on the positive side, but just be the arguers of the church. That, oh, that's wrong. I'm going to argue. I'm going to correct your doctrine. I'm going to correct your false heresy. Now, there's a place. There's a place for correcting false things. The scripture says, says it very clearly. But listen, you've got to know your heart. If you're doing it out of love, it's right. Speaking the truth in love. If you just like a good argument, shut up. And wait till you can say it in love. Because otherwise, you're going to break the very thing you're trying to fix. If it's done out of love, it doesn't matter if you say the exact same words. If it's not in the right spirit, it will not succeed. It will fail. If it's not out of the Spirit of God, out of the love of God, it's not born of God. If it's not born of God, it can't overcome the world. And so we've got to understand that, you know, there, I mean, there are, there are folks that feel that that's their calling to, to fight. To fight false doctrine, to fight heresy, to fight the cults. But you know what? If you pick up a book that you have a hunch is wrong, and you read that whole book and your eyes light up when you see the thing that's wrong. Your eyes light up when you find something false about it. And you go, aha, you're of the wrong spirit, friends. I've read some books that are wrong. Uh, in, my, in my personal understanding, I've read some books that I've, I've recommended that other people not read. But I was not happy when I found mistakes. I was not happy when I found false doctrine. Because God's not happy when false doctrine is preached. So I didn't light up and go, oh, finally, I have something to bash. No, no, you go, well, we're not going to read that. It's just a different heart you've got to have. And so he says that the solution to all this division, the solution to all this strife, the solution to all this evil thought and evil uh, practice and evil teaching 
He says is keep yourselves in his love. And that is a fight, friends. But it's a fight you can win. When you got the Spirit of God. Now, you've got to sometimes pray in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, when everything is pulling at you to get out of the love of God. The enemy is always going to be the enemy. He doesn't just give up on you and say, well, they're in the church now. I can't touch them. He tries. He's just not as obvious anymore. He's not sending you Anton LaVey to try to win you to Satanism. Some of you just don't even know who that is, right? Praise the Lord. Good. (laughs) He's not sending you, uh, you know, the enemy might give up on certain things. He's not... uh, He's not putting people on the front porch of the church handing out playboys. That's not his plan. He's not, we, we're not that stupid. We wouldn't fall for that kind of thing. What do people fall for, though? Once you've been going for a while and you've been, you've been in the church and you've been loving the Lord and you've been praising the Lord, the easiest thing to fall for is a simple attack on the love of God. It's a simple attack on your unity. And you may be right You may be right about it all, but if you've let it take you out of the love of God, if you've let it break up the unity of the faith, you're still wrong. So he says, when all this is happening, keep yourselves in the love of God. And he says, don't just stand by. The love of God is not a wimpy love. It's not a passive love. It doesn't just say, well, I don't want to step on your toes with my beliefs. It doesn't just stand back and watch these people go to hell and say, well, it doesn't matter. No, it says, have mercy Snatch them out of the fire. He's not telling you to stand back and do nothing, but he's telling you whatever you do, keep yourself in the love of God. And the way you do that is to stay in his, stay full of his spirit, stay built up by his word, and you'll be in that love. Because the spirit of God, when you are full of the spirit, you're full of the love of God. Now think about Jesus for a minute. Think about it for more than a minute. Think about Jesus and all that he put up with. Did any man walk in greater love than Jesus Christ? Who, sh- who, what nation above all nations when he walked the earth felt that love? His own people, right? Because he said, I'm sent first to the nation of Israel. And they felt his love greater than anyone else. But who treated him worse than everybody else? His own people. And yet he loved them. And he loved them so much that he gets up on the cross looks down and says, Father, forgive them as they're doing it to him. Now, many of us, we might forgive somebody a few weeks later. Once we've cooled down, you know, have you ever had that moment where you had to go for a walk? <sighs> you know, you're counting to 10. You, hey, have you ever heard anybody pray in tongues angrily? <laughs> I've heard it, and I'm not quite sure it's tongues. (laughs) Well, they're just mad praying in tongues. I've heard my mom do it freaked out, afraid, while my dad was driving funny. Now, he said, you know, he said, I I made it. Brownie had plenty of room. She's like, you know, she's gripping things. My mom had a, I don't know, my mom was never a a driver instructor, but she had a a brake, an invisible brake where she would just boom, 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 pound that front and that passenger seat, boom, 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 you know, which lets you know you're not driving well. I got that a few times. When I was a teenager, my dad called me a migratory weaver bird. 
He said, Jonathan, he said, Jonathan, by the time we get to our destination, we've driven twice as far <laughs> because of the amount of weaving you're doing. And now I'm better. I only do that when I'm in deep conversation. So all that to say, we've heard people pray in tongues when they're just quite afraid. But I've also heard people angrily do it. You know, they're, you know and they're just trying to cool themselves down. But can you imagine the worst thing ever done to you? Falsely accused, right? That was the hardest thing. As a kid, I did not want to be falsely accused. I would stand up and take my lumps for something I did. But if something I didn't do, no. This isn't justice. I did not like that one bit. Can you imagine being falsely accused and having the judge, two judges, know you're falsely accused? And say it to your face. You haven't done anything wrong. But the crowd's really mad. So we're going to have you whipped and sent away. They bring you back. Oh, they're still mad. Okay, we'll, we'll kill you. Can you imagine that? Go into court, have the judge say you're not guilty. But the jury's just really ticked off at you. The reporters are yelling. We're going to have to execute you anyways. Sorry, bud. I know you didn't do it. But uh, I got I to be elected next year. Can you imagine? Jesus knows he's being falsely accused. He knows they know. And then they whip him. They beat him. They pluck out his beard. They put a crown of thorns on his head, which, which we say so often we almost forget what that must have felt like. That they pounded it into his skull until blood came out of his scalp. And he did all of this is able to go with the cross and not wait till he cools down, but in the moment of his most agony, when my sin and your sin is placed on him, when the shame and the reproach of the world is on him, while they're yelling, mocking statements to him, while they're insulting him, while they're spitting at him, he says, I, not just I forgive them, but I want you to forgive them too. See, that's another level. Have you ever said, have you ever said, I forgive you? And then you're like, but God's going to handle this. <laughs> I forgive you. I'm leaving room for the vengeance of the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to do anything to you because what God does to you is going to be so much worse. <laughs> and yet Jesus, Jesus doesn't just say, I forgive you, but wait till what God does to you. <laughs> No, he says, I forgive you. Father, I'm asking you to forgive them. That's huge. That's who we follow. That's who we serve. And that's the spirit that God put in us. That same spirit, that same love. I had a conversation with a lady just last week who was wronged very greatly. She doesn't go to this church. Don't worry. So I'm going to figure out who this would be. She was wrong. Something, something horrible happened to her. I said, you've got to forgive. And she said, I'd have to be God to forgive. I said, here's the good news. He gave you his spirit. You can forgive just as he forgave. There is a, a battle to keep yourself in his love. And it starts and ends by you keeping yourself full of his spirit. Because that spirit is the spirit of love. 
by you building yourself up on your most holy faith because that faith is the thing that keeps you. It's an anchor. That hope is an anchor for your soul when everything else pulls on it. There will be people pulling at you to, to divide you. There will be things and there will be statements that people make that are purely designed to throw you off course and you must keep yourself in the love of God. And it, it's got to happen where you don't just say, oh, I'm keeping myself in the love of God and, and you secretly just hope that they get what's coming to them. Uh, until you can say, I can look on you and I have favor in my eyes when I look on you, then you, you're not fully there yet. You've got to let God Put that love, fill you with that love until you can say, I love them as much as I love my own children. I love them as much as I love anybody else. Because there are those that we say, I love you, but I don't like you. And yet, when we really let the love of God come in, you find that you're not even able to say that. When you really let the love of God penetrate your heart, There is nobody that you come across that you can't give something to, that you don't want to give something to. And this is the battle that the church will face in the end times is to keep the unity of the Spirit in the love of God. Peter says, now once again, Peter's books are some of those end time books, right? They're some of the end of the end of the New Testament some persecutions going on when he writes it. Some bad things are happening. And he says, keep fervent in your love for one another. Keep fervent in your love. I want you to turn to the book of Matthew for a moment. Matthew chapter 24. He's warning them of the things that are going to come at the end. He says, and we're going to start in verse 9, Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. and You will be hated by all nations on account of my name. And at that time, many will fall away. Or it literally says, be caused to stumble. Many will be caused to stumble. Many will fall away and will deliver up one another or betray one another and hate one another. These are big words, huh? Many. Many means most. Many means the majority. Many will be caused to stumble. Many will betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and mislead many. Wasn't that what we read about in Jude? And because lawlessness is increased, that's a knowledge of God's law, His ways, His commands. Because this is fading. The knowledge of who God is, what He said, His word is not at the forefront anymore. Because this has gone away, because lawlessness has increased, most people's love will grow cold. The word here, the word that he uses for love, you might be surprised to find out, is the word agape. It is not the brotherly love. 
that we talk about. It's not the romantic love. It is the love that God gives. The love. This word doesn't even show up in classical Greek literature. The only time it shows up is, is, is when it comes to religion, when it comes to divine. This love. It says this love. Their love for God and their love for one another that he gave will grow cold. The phrase grow cold, will grow cold is actually only one word. And it's a word that, that means to blow on something until it cools down. Like when you're, you've got a hot bowl of soup and you blow on it until it cools, right? It grows cold. It didn't start out cold. It got cold. Start out hot and it gradually got cooler and cooler and cooler and cooler. He doesn't say that there's a moment in history where everybody's love will stop. He doesn't say there's a moment in history where love will break. He says there is a moment in history where love will grow gradually cooler. That fervent love that God put in us, that fervent love that fights for one another, that fights in prayer, that fights in, in relationships for one another to be unified, that when they fail you, you st- that love covers a multitude of their failings, that when they mess up, your love spreads and, and reaches across the gap just like Jesus did for you. And that says in the, in the last days, because the knowledge of Him, because of His Word has taken low place, because people are following their own ways and they're being misled, that many people's love will begin to get gradually cooler and cooler and cooler. But Jesus Himself, when betrayed... When given up for death. When slandered, when mocked, when beaten, when crucified. His love stayed fiery and fervent. You do not see a moment where he seems disappointed in these people. What I can't, what what I have a difficult time comprehending is how Jesus seems to love them just as much as he did when he started. How is that possible? Don't you think over time that would be chipped away? These people have done nothing but fail him. He's got 11 of them out of the whole nation that have stuck with him. Maybe 12 if you count his mom. Maybe a little bit more if you count the women. We don't count the women. We've got 11 men, at least, that stuck with him. And they barely stuck with him. We see John shows up at the cross. Peter sneaks by into the courtyard. We really don't see a a large group of his disciples taking their stand. But all of this, he seems just as passionate for them as before. He seems just as full of love for them as before. And I don't think he just seems that way. He is. few months ago, we talked about honor. We talked about how honor comes from God and honorable people show honor. But they don't just show honor to people who deserve honor. They show honor because they're honorable. We, in 1 John, it says, 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. We love is a statement that we can take anywhere. 
What do we do? Who are we? We love. That's who we are. That's what we do. We love. And the reason we love is not because we've been loved by other people, but because we've been loved by God. And when you let that get inside of you, you say, God is my source of love. If no one in the world loves me, I know he loves me and I'm able to love you. Jesus did not love as a response to anybody. His love was not a response to anybody on the planet because nobody on the planet gave him anything to love him for. His love was purely the fact that he was love. God was love, so he loved us. You are meant to walk in the same love that Jesus loved in where you're not loving as a response because, friends, if you're loving as a response, it will run out. If you love those that love you, someday they'll fail you and your love could grow cold. But if you love because he loved, you love because that love is in you, then it doesn't matter what they do, you'll still love them with the same amount of love. The same amount, the exact same amount. Now listen, test yourself. I mean, find yourself full of the Spirit because when you are full of the Spirit, you won't be, your love will not be nearly as dented as when you're, you're kind of half full of the spirit where you're, you, you know, you're just going on yesterday's fullness, you know, and, and, and last week's fullness. And man, you, you're kind of just going along when you cool off with your relationship with God, when you cool off with that, that time with him, that, that infilling, that praying in the Holy Spirit, that building yourself up on the most holy faith, you find that it's easier to dent that love. But when you're full, guys, there's not a thing anyone can do that would dent the love of God in you. And they can spit at you. They can lie about you. They can hit you. And you still love them the same amount as before they did anything. That's how Jesus loved. So test it. If you're loving like that, man, that's that's the way he loves. If you're not there yet, praise God. He's going to get you there. You just got to stay full. Because the fruit... Of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, gentleness, kindness, goodness, self-control. And against such things, there is no law. So we're so we're so uh, ready when we're when we're full, we're ready for anything. We're ready. And, you know, it's it's a truth. It's a fact. It's. It's something that's not hidden from us that in the last days, many will grow cold in their love. There will be division. There will be strife. But it won't be in us. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. You ever notice what happens when the men in the book of Acts are full of the Spirit, what they do differently? In Acts chapter 2, they're filled with the Spirit, right? In Acts chapter 4, they've got to get refull. Because Acts chapter 2, they're full of the Spirit. 3,000 people bow their knee. It's awesome. And Peter and John, full of the Spirit, go up, see a man who's lame. Tell him, in the name of Jesus, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Here's what I have to give to you. The man rises up and walks. He goes, he says, I'm healed, I'm healed. And they get put on trial for it. And they get threatened. If you ever do this again, we're not just going to beat you. Because they beat them. We're not just going to beat you next time. We're going to kill you. If you preach in that name again. So what do they do? They go back. They have a meeting. They have a prayer meeting. And instead of saying, I mean, I, I think Peter and John knew that we're, 
we're in danger of becoming timid. We're in danger of becoming intimidated, maybe even a little bit mad. What they do is they have a prayer meeting, not that the bad people would stop hitting them, not that uh, they don't have a prayer meeting that, that uh, you know, God would just send a fireball on the, on the Sanhedrin. What they pray is that God would grant them boldness and that his hand would extend to heal. And what happens? It says they were all, the place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, well, they were already filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, but you have to stay full. And they got full again. And what happened? One of the first things that happened, these guys went out and preached. And one man, Stephen, for instance, full of the Holy Spirit, it says, preached the gospel to people that hated him. And when they stoned him, he was still just as full of the Spirit as when he started. And he says to God, Jesus appears to him. He looks up at him while they're throwing giant rocks at his head. It's not a fun way to die. This is not a clean shot to the head. These are, this is a slow, many contusions, many misses. You're being stoned to death. He looks up, sees Jesus, and he says, don't hold this to their account. Don't put this on their tab. Don't do... Just, you know what? If, for my benefit, don't count this against them. That's what somebody does when they're full of the Spirit. And if you find yourself pulled in that direction where you're, you're pulled into more arguments than you used to, or you're, you're, more, you're more annoyed with people than you used to be, you're, you're ticked off, suddenly... It's like, it's like, I don't know how, but suddenly everything everybody says seems to be offensive to me. Like, either people are getting more offensive or I'm just getting more irritable. If you start to say, the people in this church are just getting on my nerves, or the people in that church, you know what? Turns out we're all part of the same church. So he doesn't say, he's not talking about causing division within this little local group that is meeting here. He says division in the body of Christ. So you gotta love you gotta love the church down the street just as much as you love your own people. This is not our household of faith. We're part of the household of faith. So if you can't love the church across town as much as you love the people here, something's broken. So when you find that you're just more annoyed, you just get more irritable, and that's an attempt on you to cool your love so that you'll be dislocated, so that you'll be disjointed, so that you'll be divided. Fight it. Build yourself up in the most holy faith. Keep yourself in the love of God, praying in the Holy Spirit. And you'll find that Satan's darts, Satan's attacks, everything, they will not be able to dent your love. Many of us say, how could I pass that test? I told you, I've told you this before. When I was a kid, (laughs) I was a fun little kid. I, uh, I knew from a young age that I was going to go preach the gospel all over the place. And so I read, I had a book called Smoke of 10,000 Villages. and It had some great missionary stories. And I had read some stories about great missionaries and some that died for their faith. Some that were behind the Iron Curtain. Some that, you know, I mean, this was still the 80s. So, I mean, you know, we didn't know what happened behind the Iron Curtain. And I just... I just knew that wherever I went, I didn't ever want to deny the name of Jesus. <laughs> so I didn't like pain. 
But for some reason, I took I, I would find like like a nutcracker and put my finger in it and just squeeze so I could see I like I can bear this I can bear this I you know I, mean, I tried to poke myself you know try to get myself to build up my pain tolerance so that if I were ever tortured I wouldn't deny the name of Jesus you know like, ah, ah. I'll pass the test I'll pass the test what a weird little kid. you know what? That doesn't help. Do you know what helps? It doesn't help to go to seer school and learn all the secrets of the Navy SEALs and how to resist interrogation. The biggest thing you can do, listen, all the guys that got martyred for Jesus back in the early church, they weren't all the toughest. They weren't all the strongest. They weren't trained. Jesus didn't take them to the wilderness and train them in torturing, train them how to endure torture and not, and not break under interrogation. Do you know what he did? He filled them with his love. He filled them with his spirit and they all passed the test. Many of us ask ourselves, would I in that situation pass the test? You're full of love. You're full of his spirit. Yes, you would. I don't care how wimpy you are. You may cry at the slightest gust of wind. But if you are full of him, he will keep you from stumbling. He will keep you from stumbling. But listen, we think the big test is going to be that day when some general holds a gun to your head and says, deny Jesus or I shoot you. But really, the big test is right now on the battlefield we call life. And that's really where the test is. And the first test and the first attempt is on your love. Because if you can break that, it breaks everything else. But that love is not your love. It's the love that comes from God. And it never fails. It believes all things. It hopes all things. This love is unbreakable. This love is, is un, undentable. If you're full of it, if you're full of his love, not a supplement of his love, but full of his love, you will pass the test. They can spit at you. They can slap you. They can do anything to you. And you will love because he first loved me. Amen. God is so good that he's given us this love. So don't fall for it. You will. I mean, there will be attempts, but don't fall for the trap. Don't don't wander into the, into it unknowingly like, well, that person's just I mean, that lady's just a mean lady or or uh, you know what? They've never liked me and I've never liked them. Don't fall for it. Keep yourself in the love of God. 